Well, good evening. It's been a while since I've been able to be up here again, and I'm, I'm grateful and thankful for the opportunity to be able to uh, teach God's Word tonight. And we are in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, and we have a new lesson here, which I'll introduce in a minute, but the, the verses that we're going to cover in this lesson start in verse 12, and we'll go ahead and read down to verse 17. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the, Lord of, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be here, to be able to open up your word, to be able to freely teach and preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for each one here tonight that they would they would learn and draw closer to you and, and, and just uh, give us all ears to hear tonight. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may be seated. So I apologize. I can't push two buttons at once. There's a button on the computer to push there, but we'll have the slides locally here. So we've been going through this last, I don't know how long it's been, more than a year. Um, through the book of Colossians and studying verse by verse and trying to get an overview and survey and, and all the rest. So we're, we've made our way to lesson 10, covering verses 12 through 17. And the, the, uh, the title of this section is A Stack of New Clothes. And a lot of the references in the lesson guide here have references to clothes. But the point that uh, while we use uh, clothes in this sense is just a metaphor for putting on the new man of, that, that Christ gives you. And that's, that's what the lesson is really talking about here, is putting on that new man. So the key verses are verses 14 and 15, which we'll get to in a later lesson. But just by way of introduction, consider this. If your job was to identify terrorists for a living, in living in our country, what clues would you look for to try to find these terrorists? Anybody have any ideas here? Pastor? Associations with other, other terrorists. Right, if you, if you can look for their associations with other terrorists. Uh, I'm not sure that anybody really walks around with, uh, uh, well, some people walk around with flags. Um, but you're not out vocally and proclaiming that you're a terrorist in that sense. So you might look for associations. You might look for... Uh, odd behaviors that are out of, out of commonplace. Um, interest in things that the average person is not interested in. <clears throat> and the rest. So, 
So an another uh, another thing to consider by way of introduction too is I know there's a couple uh, men here that have served in the military, and one of the examples here was to share about the camaraderie you, you would have felt with uh, in the military with fellow service members. So would either of you guys care to talk about that, Brother Dennis? Right, 130 men, sailors in a in a in a steel tube, in a in a confined space, in under pressure, literally. Um, right, right. There's there's sometimes there's some battles, um, but eventually you're all on a team and are all required to work together to survive and, and complete your mission there. So, um, I mean, you could, think of, you could think of it too as um, the, other, the other consideration here is, um, well, let me back up here. Has anybody ever seen an old TV show? I looked it up. It was on the air from the, I only caught the tail end of it being in the 80s. Um, the mid-50s or so through the late 80s, the show where they would take a celebrity and, and trick them somehow to get them to a certain location where a bunch of their friends that knew them throughout their life would show up. It's called This Is Your Life. Does anybody ever see that show? Brother Dennis has seen it. Pastor has seen it. Yeah, I've seen it as, as a kid. I remember a little bit of it out there. I mean, I didn't necessarily know who all the actors were at the time, but it, the interesting uh, idea behind the show was that um, these people from your past would come back and start to share a story about how they interacted with you in the past. And um, so this, this, the, the lesson guide had this geared more toward those that were in the military. But we, I think we can each think of episodes in our own life of where, what if, what if that were to happen to us? What if somebody pulled us in, off to the side and said, okay, this is your life, and then you would have some friends or family that would come along, hopefully not too many enemies, that would come along and share some fun stories about how they, how they knew you. Um, so the question is, how might you respond if several people from your, from your past walked into this room? How, how they would know you? Like, how would you respond to that? Would it be a little bit of a, this is awesome, I get to see an old long lost friend, or wow, this is gonna be embarrassing? Um, hopefully not too much of the latter there but just in general um, I guess I'm a little bit scattered on this here but in general how would you expect um, just people from your past that you had a really close relationship to to, to treat you if, they, if you, they just walked off the street out of the blue this would be something where um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, I, have, I have a good friend when we were in college together, my uh, college roommate, for about half the time. But we were good best friends. He was the best man in my wedding. I was the best man in his wedding. And uh, we just, you know, we stayed in touch. We don't talk every day. We actually talk rarely. But the, the really cool thing about that is that we have that common bond of, well, we're both electrical engineers. He went the the uh, the wrong way into things that deal that can kill you, literally, high power, vo high voltage systems. And I went to the other way that 
they kill you in a different way, I guess, as playing with little gadgets and the rest of the things, staring at little gizmos. But, um, you know, it's one of those relationships where Dave and I, when we meet up again, it's just like we just picked up and, and kept going forward from that same spot. It's all the same basic good friendship. And, and that's, that's one of those things where um, that bond that we have is, is still there. We just pick it up and continue to walk forward from there. The one thing that I want to point out there is that um, is that if you, this type of bond is not necessarily just between good friends, my good, my roommate from college, my, my best man at my wedding. There's a bond that's closer than that. And it's between individual believers. And that bond extends not from just the believers in this room, but believers around the world, some of them you haven't even met, that you can meet them and have that instant common fellowship because of the spirit that lives within you. And I think that's, that's one of those things that's really, that's really amazing about this life. I know I've, I've uh, being at school over here at OSU, had some, the opportunity to just walk around a lot. And one time I was walking past the library. I was coming back from lunch and decided to take a detour. It was kind of out of the way. And off in the distance, over by the library, I could hear some, some preaching. And I saw a crowd gathering. And there I got to meet a, a good man, his name is Sean Holes, later who brought some more friends of his around that just keep coming back year after year. And another good friend that lives down in California, Ken. And uh, he's a really, really good guy, good, good preacher. And the rest, and have met other people through that. And there's, there's a thing of where I've never met you before in my life, but we have that common bond to Jesus Christ. And that, that fellowship that we can have, we can pray for each other, we can, uh, we can lift each other up and, and all those things. It's just, it's one of those amazing things. So that's kind of, that's really the, the, the theme of this lesson here going forward. But if we go back to our first example, I know I'm a bit rambling right now. But uh, thinking of the terrorists and how you would identify the terrorist. The crafty terrorist or the insurgent won't be found wearing a uniform. You're not going to find somebody that's going to have proper uniform on. I'm not sure the last war that the United States fought where there were proper uniforms might have been maybe Korea. It certainly wasn't Vietnam. Well, Vietnam to some extent, but certainly not any of the uh, Middle Eastern wars. Uh, insurgency, you're not going to find somebody. They just kind of blend into the background. Wearing a uni- you're not going to find them wearing a uniform as a soldier would or some identification badge. It'd be too easy to pick them out. But you know, Christians also do not wear a physical uniform. This is not my physical Christian uniform that I'm wearing tonight. I do this out of respect of being up here and teaching. But, but uh, it's not the clothes that, that you wear, right? So we don't have, um, but what we should be able to be identified with, since we're, it's, we don't have a patch on our, on our lapels that says I'm a Christian, although some people wear a cross, as, as, a, as, a, as a modest piece of jewelry. Um, that doesn't really mean anything. Wearing a cross doesn't really mean anything. It's, uh, it may mean something to you. What really means is, is not what's on you, but what's, who's in you that, that, is, that, uh, that really makes the point here. So in the military, it's proper to say that the uniform does not make the man. Right? 
It's not this uniform that you put on in the military. It's not how many stars you got on your, on your shoulder. It's not uh, how many stripes you got on your sleeve. It's none of those things, right? It's the man that makes that uniform. And in this case here, in the Christian life, it is Jesus Christ who makes the Christian's new clothes and dresses us with his righteousness as we put off our old nature and yield to him. He's the one who makes the uniform, and as we allow him to, he puts that uniform on us, and we wear that proudly. Not, not in the pride sense of Brother Chris here. Uh, yeah, if you go back and listen to him, I don't mean it that... In that sense, I think you understand what I'm saying there. The, the, to glorify Christ, that's the point. Because we are, we are honoring of him. So in Lesson 10, we'll, we'll examine some Christ-like qualities that ought to motivate our thoughts and actions. So here we have the new clothes and the wearers of the new clothes. So putting on the new man or these new clothes, this metaphor that we're talking about here, implies that there's an old man. Often we don't want to think about that old man. Throughout Lesson 9, we focused on verses from uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through 11, and they discuss this old man and his works and his motivations, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. It's kind of a bad, yucky list here. Evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, and lying. All these things are associated with the old man, our old nature. That old man, if you're a Christian, that old nature is never far away. It's always right there, ready to to jump back up. But praise God that in Christ we have this new nature, and now we have a choice. We can choose to put on this new, this new nature, these new clothes that God has given to us, and choose that path versus yielding and, and reverting back to this old way. But this is a choice that we make day by day. So we're enabled at salvation to receive the Spirit of God. And that he, if, as we're yielding to him, will help us and guide us through our life there. But ultimately, we have that choice of what we want to do. Are we going to serve God and rely on his grace, wisdom, righteousness, or are we going to try to do it our way? I remember, uh, maybe, maybe Joni remembers this. Um, we used to go to junior high school in Las Vegas, and at the cafeteria, they had these big windows. You could get into a line and a queue to get your meal. You had a choice of pizza, a burger, chicken nuggets, really healthy stuff, all with french fries. Uh, I always went to the ham and cheese. It was known as the Big Virginian. That was my, that was my uh, Virginia ham. That was, my, uh, that was my meal of choice. But behind, uh, on the counters and the racks that were behind there where they put all these greasy, oily bags of uh, all this stuff on the back there, they had a sign on, on one of the, the stainless steel things there. It said, this is not Burger King. You can't have it your way. <clears throat> That's humor, right, for junior high school students. It's humorous for them. Um, but what we do is we have a choice to make. We, we can choose, right, you, it, when you want a hamburger, you can choose to have onions and lettuce and tomatoes and mustard and whatever else. 
we can choose to take the things of God and, and make those our own in our life now. So we can choose those things. This is not something where we didn't have a choice, right? It's, this is not Burger King. Your old nature was not Burger King. You didn't have a choice. Now you have a choice. <clears throat> so how is it that we can receive this new nature? It's not automatic, right? You have to receive this new nature, but how do you receive it? Well, the first thing is to understand that there's none righteous, right? Going back to fundamental principles here. There's none righteous, no, not one, as the Bible says, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We, I've, I've um, had interesting discussions over in recent weeks of people that, that will tell you one thing. They'll say, well, I think people are mostly good. People have a generally good nature, and these are allegedly professing Christians that will tell me this, and I'm, I'm quite shocked, to be honest. And uh, in these, these cases, um, Brother Chris has, has talked a lot about um, patience online and not starting battles in social media, and I think that's a heart. Uh, now, as, as uh, I've done some pretty terrible things online in past years, but taking that to heart to, instead of trying to one-up someone, is to really try to understand them. So how do you understand somebody? Ask questions. So often, instead of trying to slice and dice people, which is, is quite easy, easy to do, but it doesn't result in good things. Ultimately, you're going to push somebody away that way. Yeah, I can fry somebody, but what, what good does that serve? Try to understand where they're coming from, but then also lead them to Christ. And that's, you, you get asked pointed questions that say, well, are people generally good? And then you, you point out some biblical truth to them, share some little bit of truth, and let them chew on that a little bit and keep leading them that way um, instead of trying to uh, beat them over the head with truth, right? You, you try to gently but firmly uh, persuade, right? Feed them, and the best way to do that is just give them the word of God. That's the, the best way. Let... Let it loose, and it will fight it. God will fight his own battle there. So, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And our just deserts, our paycheck and wages of sin, what we deserve is death. And I'm not just talking about physical death, right? Everybody, if we live long enough, is going to die, right? It's, a, it's a, one of those fundamental truths, death and taxes, but the truth that we see here is in Revelation chapter 20, talking about this great white throne judgment. It's a terrible thing to consider. If you're found standing at the great white throne judgment, you're not going to have a good eternity. I'm not going to even say day. It's not going to end well for you. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, verse 12, and I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Verse 14, and, the, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The Bible talks about two deaths. One physical, second one being spiritual death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
Because of our sins, we deserve to spend eternity separated from, from holy God in the lake of fire. I made the analogy in the past that hell, right, everybody has this, well, I'm going to hell because that's where my friends are, or uh, lots of songs are sung about this, that subject, uh, rock songs and, and the like. What I like to liken hell to is hell is the county jail, right? But the lake of fire is life in prison without the possibility of parole. It is a complete separation from God. And this is a sobering truth here. Jail, I mean, that's a holding pen. You eventually get out of that. Prison, life in prison, you're not getting out of that. But you know, that's pretty sobering news there, but you know, we get down, and I've said it in the past, my favorite book in the Bible is the book of Romans. My favorite chapter in, in Romans is chapter 5. My favorite verse is verse 8. But God commended or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. It wasn't anything that I had to do it wasn't being a good person that got me that, that, that uh, well, I see that Brian's going to be a pretty good person or he's, he's halfway there. I'm going to die on the cross and pay for the other half of his sins. There are religions out there that teach this. We spent some time covering that and, and uh, I don't feel led to cover that any, anymore at the moment. But. And then another, the, the probably the most well-known Bible verse in the world is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you know, this is the good news, right? We had the bad news, but the good news. We're getting down to how you get that new man, right? That old nature condemns us to death and, and hell and eventually the lake of fire for all of eternity. But the good news is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The amazing truth that is there. The world is looking for peace. We see that all around in our country today. There are no justice, no peace is what they're saying. The truth of the matter is no Jesus, no peace. N-O, Jesus, N-O, peace. And the fundamental truth is that if you know Jesus, you will know peace. The simple fact of the matter, this world needs Jesus today. It always has needed it, and we're just seeing it live streamed on the internet today right into the palm of our hands in a smartphone. We see it today. Still the fundamental truth is that this world needs Jesus. And then if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's pretty simple. The simple truth of the matter is that to know this peace, to be able to put on this new man, these new clothes, you first have to recognize that you're a sinner. You deserve to go to hell and eventually to the lake of fire for all of eternity. There's nothing good you can do. There's nothing good you can ever do. That the only one who has done it and can do it can live a perfect, uh, complete life, fully honoring God at all times, is Jesus Christ. 
and he has done that for us. The wonderful thing is that the only thing that he asks for us to do is to call out to him and forgive, ask for forgiveness. You just you confess, Lord, I'm, I've sinned. For that sin, I deserve to go to hell. I can't do anything of myself. Lord, I trust in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross and rose again for my sins. And it's a personal thing. It's, he didn't just die for the sins of the arbitrary universal world. It's for each individual person. That if there were one person in this world, I believe that he would have come and done the same thing for that one person. Enough uh, stories that he's told about the 99 and the one lost sheep and parable of the lost coin and, and the rest that are there showing that the worth of the one is, is, uh, is paramount to him. He is, he is seeking every last person. Salvation is available to all and all without exception. So this man, Jesus, after he'd offered up one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And hanging on the cross in agony, Jesus said, it is finished. In complete agony, he'd gone through a torturous scourging, carrying his cross to the top of the hill, being nailed to a cross. And hanging there and, and in agony, uh, said, it is finished. He gave up the ghost. Jesus did everything necessary, all the work that is needed for your salvation and my salvation by dying on the cross and rising again from the tomb. So what is my part? Brian, what's my part? You might ask. What do I have to do? That question was answered in the book of Acts. And another side story here is that um, in a town back, uh, a neighboring town to where I went to high school, Millersburg. We have a Millersburg here in Oregon, and I think there are many states around the country that have Millersburgs. There's a lot of Millers out there. Um, there's a barber shop, coincidentally, the Millers Barber Shop in Millersburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, I've gone there to get my hair cut. I don't know. Seems like forever. And I've basically grown up with uh, Red Miller and his son Neil and uh, I remember going in there one time after I got saved came back and visited and uh, just talking with Neil his son up in his window he's got like various little pictures he has some money from I'm not sure which country some dollar bills or, or bills from a country but there's just a little business card that was stuck to the window there and it said to go to hell, do nothing. To go to heaven, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, Acts 16.30 and 31. And I, I had to tell him, you know, I've come here for so many years, throughout high school, through college. I moved to Arizona, became a hippie for a little while, had really long hair, but I came back. I got my hair all whacked off. And... Um, you know, through all those many years of travels all around the country, I had never seen that card. Or maybe I did, but I didn't really see it. And then I looked up there and I said, that's, that's, that's what I needed forever. Amen. And uh, I'm glad I have it now.
And what was true for those, uh, for Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailers that they witnessed to there, that serves, what must I do to be saved? The jailer asked, and, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shall be saved. What was true for that Philippian jailer and his family that day is true for everyone, everywhere and at all time. That call out to Jesus Christ, he'll forgive you. He'll save you. Give you a new life. He'll give you some new clothes now. He'll change your life from the inside. So the wearers of these new clothes, verse 12. We'll probably come back and touch on this a little bit next week. Um, We'll just uh, just survey this here for a little bit here. Uh, I'm going to need some volunteers to read some verses. It'll actually be verse 12 here. And over in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Okay, who would like to read Colossians 3.12? Pastor? Uh, Ephesians 1.3. Brother Chris? And Ephesians 1.4, Brother Dennis. Okay, so... So the clothes that identify believers as God's people never go out of style. They're always beautiful, appropriate, and suitable for every season. Paul appealed to the Colossian believers as God's elect, holy, and beloved people to put on Christ. So, Pastor, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Brother Chris. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Brother Dennis. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And I know what you're all thinking. There's a verse, there's a word in verse 12 that says elect. And oh no, chosen, he's going to go on Calvinism again. Um, no, I'm not, not tonight. Um, but again, our, our, uh, our, uh, our lesson books are a little bit Calvinistic, reformed in, in some of the things that they have to say, so you have to be careful. So it was interesting flipping back. We have a couple questions here, question number three. To see what they had to say about this, I was like, okay, my, my eyes are open, I'm, I'm looking for it, where is it? And we'll see here. So question number three in your books. So why did God elect or choose us? This is a loaded question if there were ever one. <laughs> question number three. In the light of these three verses that we read here, Colossians 3.12 and Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Why did God elect or choose us? And the biblical answer is that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Right? It's right there in the text. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be, right? We've, we've gone through this entire study. Pastor went through the entire study looking at every place where it's election, chosen choice, or chosen election, ordination, ordained, all these different forms of the same basic root word are used in the Bible, and saw that election is election to something. We are elected to behold, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. 
It's that simple. It's what the Bible says here. There's no need to read into it. There's no need to bring in some... Oh, what are we at? The 5th century deterministic philosophies uh, and earlier into the text here. We just read and trust what the Bible has to say. And question number four, how should the reason for our election affect our lives? So we've been elected to be holy and without blame, blameless before God in love. We should strive to be like Christ, right? Because we've, we've been elected, this is what we've been elected to do. Strive to be like Christ. He is the, the penultimate example of how we should live our lives. He's lived the perfect life. And uh, to do that, we can look at some of his attributes. And that's what we'll be doing here in upcoming lessons here through this passage here. Looking at mercies and kindness and humbleness of mercies. You know, one of those, that, that hard word, hum, being humble not being prideful it's a it's it's a challenge it's a it's a really big challenge to me and uh and we'll look through those and how we can draw closer to christ and be more like him so we as believers in christ are the objects of god's everlasting love and if that be true if we are the beloved of god then every command he gives us is motivated by his love for us right he hasn't given us something that we can't do he's given us his spirit that enables us to do these things for him, including his command for us to put on Christ, the Christ-like character. So we should not look at God's will for us as something we have to do, but rather something we are humbled and privileged to do. Right? It's, we, we serve God out of love, out of a debt of, uh, of, of love that we owe to him for what he's done to us. He saved us from that eternal hell that I spoke of. And because of that, he had given the ultimate sacrifice. We should, we should love him. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our evening tonight. Lord, to be able to open up, the, open up your word here and start this lesson, Lord. I pray that this, the word would go forth that, uh, and that we would just continue to draw closer to you. Lord, as we look at these characteristics that we can look to, put on, Lord, to be able to serve you and draw closer to you to, uh, in the life that you've given us here. Lord, our life is now no longer our own, but it is hid in Christ. And, and Lord, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to serve you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.